get a love. Welcome to the Los Angeles Review of Books podcast. I'm your host today, Miriam Lamb, and I'll be talking with Monique Chung, author of the novels The Book of Salt and more recently Bitter in the Mouth, which is now out in paperback. Monique is going to begin our conversation with a short reading from the novel. I fell in love with my great uncle Harper because he taught me how to dance. He said that rhythm was allowing yourself to feel your blood coursing through you. He told me to close my eyes and forget the rest of my body. I did, and we bopped our non-existent selves up and down and side to side. He liked me because I was a quiet child. He showed me photographs of himself as a boy. He referred to himself in the third person. This here is Harper Evan Birch, he would say. The boy in those photographs was also a quiet child. I could tell from the way that his arms were always flat by his side, never akimbo or raised high to the North Carolina sky. We were both compact, always folding ourselves into smaller pieces. We both liked music because it was a river where we stripped down, jumped in, and flailed our arms around. It was 1975 then, and the water everywhere around us was glittery with disco lights. My great-uncle Harper and I, though, danced Elvis Presley, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Fats Domino. We twisted, mashed potatoed, and winked at each other whenever we opened our eyes. My great-uncle Harper was my first love. I was seven years old. So Monique is with us. Um, this is her second novel. She's been a longtime writer of and critic of fiction, but also specifically Vietnamese-American literature. And her first novel was a big splash, The Book of Salt, and was very um, well-received by critics and audiences. And I remember the um, some of the reception often remarked on how, oh, well, it's such a exotic novel set in Paris with, you know, Gertrude Stein and Alice B. Toklas and, you know, this gay chef. And because the second novel is so not uh, exotic in that sense. Um, could you say a bit about the context of the second novel and you know what influences led you to writing about these particular characters? I suppose my first point would be that exotic is a relative term, right? So for me, um, a woman to write about or in and in the voice of a gay man uh, living in Paris, in the 20s and 30s, working for Gertrude Stein and Tolkless. I suppose you could think of that as exotic. Um, I like to think of it as unexpected. So that, of course, was the the um, for the Book of Salt, mm -hmm. my first novel. And my second novel is called Bitter in the Mouth. And um, I think of it as um, unexpected in a different way, which is it is very much, in my mind, a rethinking um, of the American genre of mm. Southern Gothic. To me, it is a very American story um, set in the South, um, 
small town uh, in North Carolina called Boiling Springs, and that uh, also happens to be where uh, my family and I first lived when we came to the United States as refugees mm-hmm. in 1975. It's, it's um, the story of a, a woman, a young woman, who has a condition that causes her to taste words. And it's a form of synesthesia, mm-hmm. right? You know, when I was doing the research for this particular um, neurological condition, mm-hmm. I found that, you know, it was a very rare condition, very few people had it. And I have to tell you that in the course of, you know, traveling around uh, uh, and uh, and reading from the book and also in the seven years that it took me to work on this novel, I have met many, many, many people mm-hmm. with synesthesia, all of its different forms. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, uh, Exotic is relative. <laughs> Have any of them actually had experiences where the synesthesia took different turns or wore off due to cultural uh, changes? Or uh, There are some commonalities. One... Um, folks who have synesthesia have always had synesthesia. Mm. You know, they can't remember a time, mm. you know, um, when they did not have um, the the form, the mixing of the senses that, that they mm. experience. That's very different from your novel because it feels like the main central character's synesthesia is very culturally laden with, uh, you know, deeply embedded history and experiences. Well, I think that's because I'm a novelist. <laughs> and yes, yeah, certainly my main character, Linda Hamrick, has synesthesia is is sort of when you first meet her, mm-hmm. you you hear or she shares with you this this secret sense that mm-hmm. she has. And that first half is a coming of age story. Linda, of course, as as you uh read uh, further mm-hmm. into the book. As you get book. to know her inner life. More. Right. You find out that there are other differences, mm-hmm. you know, to her. Um, and the synesthesia is just sort of our, part of the reason why she feels so um, isolated and disconnected from uh, her family mm-hmm. um, and um, her community. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't until, say, the last third of the novel that you begin to sort of unearth this other side of her family history and such. And when you're saying that it's so not exotic in the sense that, you know, it's if people are expecting another Vietnamese-American novel and such, you're going to be surprised. It, it definitely doesn't follow that kind of um, uh, cultural, ethnic-specific kind of context until unless you're looking for it, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I was also struck when you when you describe it as Americana and very Southern Gothic, because the entire time I was reading, I completely identified with the gay uncle Harper, right? <laughs> As opposed to the young girl who you would think uh-huh. you, you would identify more with. And right. so um, what encouraged you to kind of have this Har- Uncle Harper in, in the character? Because he, he does come in and out and, as this kind of relief of sorts for the, Linda as well as for the reader. Yeah. Linda Hamrick's uh, great uncle Harper, also known within her family as Baby Harper, <laughs> is much more of a fully developed person in that in that beginning part mm-hmm. of the book. Linda is not ready yet yeah. to come to terms with many things: her synesthesia, 
you know, her family history, etc. And so, yes, it makes sense to me that, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, it'd be great, Uncle Harper, that you find solace in. Um, You know, I think of my characters as, as, you know, as real people, you know, I mean, they're real to me, you know, while I'm working on my books. And, and I wanted to give Linda uh, solace, Mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to give within that landscape, within that family, uh, where so much is not said, so much is sort of, you know, ignored and and hidden. I wanted her to have one person, mm-hmm. you know, where she could just feel pure kind of that joy mm-hmm. of life with, you know. They dance together. They, you know, they watch old films together. Mm-hmm. And I always get... Um, asked, you know, was there a great Uncle (laughs) Harper? Yeah. (laughs) And I always say, you know, I wish. But no, there wasn't anyone like that. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. I remember during your first uh, tour with the Book of Salt, there was one moment where you were talking about the second novel in the works, and and you said her character is not ready yet. It's not sort of fully developed yet. Did you need the Uncle Harper character? Did you need her to kind of trace back the family history? What did it for you? I would say that, you know, Bitter in the Mouth is is a book that actually um, is much closer to the bone for me mm. than the Book of Salt, um, meaning that, yes, we, um, Linda and I, we share this, this southern locale, this mm-hmm. childhood in this small town, um, even if we don't share a great Uncle Harper. Um, and I, you know... It was a, it was a process for me to, to really understand what this book was going to be about. You know, what I knew at the very beginning was that I wanted to write about a character with synesthesia, someone who could taste the words that she heard or spoke. You know, that was a very fascinating concept for me. Um, and I wanted to set it in the South. But mm-hmm. What else? I mean, what else is the book about, right? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I don't know what my books are about Uh. until I'm in them and I'm and I'm working through whatever you know set of of issues or fantasies or you know (laughs) or Mm -hmm. memories. And just to give you a very concrete example, I actually went back to Boiling Springs. during the uh, very early part of writing this novel. And um, that was incredibly helpful because, um, and I think this- You hadn't been back in a while. No, Mm -hmm. I, when I left there, (laughs) we only lived there for the first three years of our, you know, our families, uh, or my family's, you know, life in the the States, Mm -hmm. but, when I left there, I knew I never mm-hmm. wanted to go back. It was an incredibly rough place mm-hmm. uh, for me to live. 
<laughs> I just I knew I never wanted to go back mm-hmm. and and it wasn't so much that I went back because I was writing the novel mm-hmm. it just happened that there was basically it was the wedding of a friend mm-hmm. you know and and I, and it's not even really my friend it was my husband's friend mm-hmm. you know so very Who tangential didn't grow up there at all <laughs> <laughs> not the friend but his wife oh grew up in Shelby which is wow. the next closest town and plays a big role yeah. in bitter and so we went back or I went back you know with uh, my husband in tow and mm-hmm. and it absolutely I think opened up the novel for me hmm. or what the novel could be about Be- because I think beforehand it was really about the anger that mm. I had for this place and the people that mm. I remember from there. And and as you know, anger just makes for a very one-dimensional sort of work mm. of art. Mm. You know, it's, it's very strong, very powerful, but it's just in your face and that's it, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's how the book would have been if mm. I hadn't, you know, gone back for, you know, for the wedding. The process of returning to that place as an adult was so necessary. Linda didn't actually fully develop until I fully developed. Interesting. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. clearly, uh, for me, I don't need a therapist to tell me that, <laughs> you know. It, it was really about going back to this place, realizing that uh, it, it did not shape me entirely. Mm-hmm. It shaped a very you know, significant three years of what it meant to be an American, you mm. know, those first three years. But that's it. It I can leave it now. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because Linda's development early on in the novel, you definitely feel like there are moments in her relationship with her mother, the, uh, the adopted mother, where she could just stay very angry and veer towards the very one-dimensional realm, but then she doesn't, right? And it's the, the that development. I'm, I'm curious because you say the anger is sort of one of the uh, tastes that l- was left behind for you in Boiling Springs after Boiling Springs. And so because the, the first book was also very sensual and, you know, all these ingredients and the, the sh- chef de cuisine and, and such, and that this one with the synesthesia, you also have these these flavors and senses that you're playing upon. Why, uh, why did you choose the bitterness in particular? Is that part of oh, the anger? Right. Um, yeah. Um, I suppose, yes. I, I, the the title came to me um, very early on in the process, mm-hmm. which was different for uh, from the first novel. Mm-hmm. And um, bitter in the mouth is actually a phrase that appears in the Book of Salt. Mm-hmm. I use that phrase to describe uh, the taste of overcooked watercress, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, and so, it was, you know, I think, yeah, initially I thought the book would be about the oh. bitterness that remained. Like I said, I'm glad that it didn't stay that way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think I, I really tried to think about the the folks in Boiling Springs and and 
what it must have been like for them to encounter someone like me mm-hmm. and what I represented, you know, mm-hmm. even as a seven-year-old girl, you know, trying to understand, you know, the, the years of the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. you know, coming into their living room and, you know, them having sons, you know, mm-hmm. um, lost to that war and, and, you know, really trying to understand what I could have represented to mm-hmm. them, um, trying to see the world through their eyes, which is what a novelist tries to do, you know, but sometimes we're myopic, just like everyone else. And, you know, we can only see, you know, straight ahead. Um, and so uh, I think Bitter in the Mouth was really my attempt to do a 360 mm-hmm. with with Boiling Springs. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Because both novels are, for me, they're very, the mood is very melancholy of both of them, even though they're sort of quiet humor, um, humorous moments throughout. Do you feel that that mood suits your writing in particular? Or are you thinking of exploring different kinds of moods or tones with future <laughs> characters? Uh, no, uh, not unless I get some, like medication (laughs) i mean that melancholy is is me you know uh bitter in the mouth uh is a is while it's still about flavors Mm -hmm. right i i decided i really wanted to to try to reimagine how i can communicate a flavor Mm -hmm. you know so that it's 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 recognizable but still you know enough of a difference to, to, to make or to encourage you to to think about it anew. And mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Like, like um, when she hears a word that triggers the taste of fresh lemon juice, right? She, the narrator, tells you that fresh lemon juice is sunlight through a high window, you know, mm. concentrated sunlight through a high window. To me, um, I think that, that that sounds to me like lemon juice, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I realized I was describing flavors often as sort of almost like architectural mm-hmm. kind of experiences. You enter into something or it is, you know, coming through like a hallway or mm-hmm. something. And I think it's it's like an effort to have sort of this idea of inhabiting mm-hmm. of a flavor versus and creating she she very much ends up being a kind of contractor builder because she knows what flavor she wants to keep tasting right and so <laughs> she'll play with the words or, or that's or right try to offset other yeah. flavors right and yeah so she becomes this kind of master craftsman in these interesting oh, ways i i i really appreciate that <laughs> that's a great way to think about it see the pyramids of Watch the sun rise on other tropic isles. Just remember, darling, all the while you belong to me. Writer, activist, and educator Alice Hom wanted to ask a question of you. If you could be any kind of appliance, <laughs> what would it be? 
I I'm gonna go with a utensil. Okay. And and it is a kitchen utensil. Made uh, of what? Steel. Okay. It would be a really sharp kitchen knife. Huh. Yeah. You cannot cook without it. Mm-hmm. One. Yeah. I hope that I'm somewhere close to being sharp. Yeah, edgy in in ways <laughs> that you don't expect. Um. Yeah, and and it's simple. Hmm. You know. Form and function, hmm. you know, meeting for um, in a fantastic way. And and it's timeless. <laughs> right. So is the form very important to you in your writing process? When does that come to you first? The form, um, and I suppose what we're talking about is the narrative structure mm-hmm. of, of the novels. That tends to come to me almost last. I don't write via an outline or, you know, I don't know uh, clearly (laughs) from what I've said earlier in the interview that, you know, I I do not necessarily know what the book is really going to be about, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, until the end. And often that's when I go in and I restructure with bitter. um, I, I knew a couple of things, but one of them was the last word of the novel. Hmm. So I knew that very early on. It's very significant to me that it's a very, it's one syllable word. I'm not going to say it. That's right. But I had written on a note card. It was stuck, you know, right in front of my writing desk, wherever my writing desk happened to be, hmm. you know, during those years. Um, so in the same way that you became obsessed with synesthesia, this word took on a yeah life of its own. Yeah. And I think that happens a lot for me during the process of writing a novel is that words, I mean, really simple daily words. I sometimes I think I don't know what they mean anymore. Hmm. I don't know what that word means anymore. And that's not to say that I become confused. Mm-hmm. It's to say that it, the language opens up and becomes fresh. Mm-hmm. So tell us if you have any words you're playing with now for your next project, if you can talk a bit about oh, your yeah. next novel. Um, oh, I'd like to talk about that okay. via that route. <laughs> that's good. Well, I'm I'm not really ready right now to sort of reveal mm-hmm. what the third novel idea is about. But there are certain things I can tell you. Uh, one is that it's going to be a work of historical fiction. Mm-hmm. And it's based on uh, a writer who uh, was born on a small island in Greece and came to the United States um, right after the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he came to Cincinnati and he lived in New Orleans. And then in the middle of his life, he left the U.S. and uh, he moved to Japan. Mm. And he became a very well-known writer there. Just a couple of years ago, um, I was looking through a Southern food encyclopedia. They exist. <laughs> <laughs> and he was listed because the one work that he's still known for in the U.S., um, well, it depends on who you are, but uh-huh. m- most widely known for is a uh, Creole cookbook. Huh. Yeah. So still food flavors. Right. <laughs> right. Um, in terms of the words that mm-hmm. I'm thinking about, uh, 
definitely. Uh, I think this next book is actually going to be the sweet mm. book. Um, it's true. I'm working my way through the flavors. <laughs> um, <Sugar>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know the book is going to be about the flip side of food, which is hunger. Because I think you cannot understand food without understanding hunger. Mm-hmm. And the and that word to me is so full. It's not just hunger of the belly, but hunger of the soul, mm-hmm. you know, hunger in all its great senses, right? Um, and also water. Mm. All the places he lived were somehow sort of oriented to a different body of water, but very important to uh, to them. Back through the years, I go wandering once again. Back to the seasons of my youth. I recall a box of rags that someone gave us. And how my mama put the rags to you. You're actually, your writing is very um, helpful for folks who teach. Um, there's some writers, you know, you love to read them, but they're not always that useful in the classroom. And yours always get students asking more historical questions and cultural questions that I can't always answer, you know. And so it, it, they become curious enough to go and do additional research, which I find very nice. Excellent. That's, I'm, that is wonderful for me to hear because... The highest praise I can receive, really, is is to be read in a classroom setting, you know, and to be considered mm-hmm. within an academic setting. And so, um, yeah, that's great. And I do want people to be active readers, you know. It, it bruises my soul <laughs> to hear of people... Books can be very entertaining. I hope my books are entertaining. Mm -hmm. But if that's all you're looking for, you should go see a movie. Why? There is a reason why I choose to tell a story via the novel, Mm -hmm. via the written word. And, and, you know, and why my books are not linear, Mm -hmm. you know, and why you have at certain points to work at understanding what you know things that might have been left out for Mm -hmm. a reason you know and you have to ask yourself why did why is this character not sharing something with me like you know Mm -hmm. what I'm hoping for in terms of a reading experience a bitter is that initially you know a reader might pick up bitter and think oh, well, this is kind of familiar to me, you know, Mm -hmm. a a Southern family, Mm -hmm. you know, this seems like your, you know, your family narrative, Mm -hmm. right? And then as it progresses, you know, hopefully what is going on is that you feel like there's, you know, I know a lot of things about these characters, but I don't know what Linda looks like. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that's withheld. (laughs) Right. I mean, even by the end, I feel like there's a lot that you've held back or she's held back the character. Right. Um, I suppose that's one of the privileges of writing in the first person voice, too, because you can tell the story um, in the way that you really, you know, that you imagine a this individual would tell his or her story. Mm. What that really means is that 
you get to withhold <laughs> you get to have you know the quirks of their uh, vocabulary and and their cadence and their rhythm but you you know what i'm most aware of is that when we tell our stories we we have the order of facts you know we might highlight our failures first or we might highlight our successes, you know. Or never mention our failures. Exactly. <laughs> or leave whole years out, mm -hmm. you know. And that, to me, is also part of the story. Mm. So going back to the, you know, the structure, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what if I don't tell you what happens from year X to year Y? Mm -hmm. You know, why? Um, or why doesn't the character do it? So after these travels of the, you know, creative thought processes and such, do you ever uh, think about going back to the law? No. You know, I'm, I'm still licensed to practice. Oh. No. I, I think I would rather um, do the other thing that mm -hmm. my undergraduate degree or institution trained me to do, which was to be a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd rather do that than... Well, you get to hear more stories that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so fi maybe one final question. Um, sure. Have you thought about writing in other genres other than the short fiction, which you've done in the novel form? I write poetry, but I don't publish it. <laughs> it's Why probably best for everyone. Um, <laughs> I also write song lyrics. Oh. Yeah. I think that's my fantasy. Ah. That's my true fantasy. I was at a residency called McDowell um, a couple of years ago, and I was in a, a studio that had a little baby grand piano. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to p play the piano, <laughs> but I wrote my little songs. <laughs> okay, I guess I'd like to wrap up and thank Monique Jung, as well as Oliver Wang, our wonderful tech extraordinaire, and Tom Lutz and Evan Kinley for organizing our podcast today. You can find more info on Monique's latest novel, Bitter in the Mouth, on her website, www.monique-truong.com, which includes a bitter playlist of songs. This podcast is a production of the Los Angeles Review of Books. For more info, visit lareviewofbooks.com. For the review, I'm Miriam Lamb. This bitter, bitter What fruited bear?